This is Ask Dr. E, where Dr. Michael Easley answers your biblical or theological questions in 10 minutes or less. Today is super fun because we are recording live in a senior high school Bible class, and so they've got their questions for us. So what's our question? If God hates religion, what should I do as a religious man? So let's start out with a definition about religion. And let me just say it's a system of do's or don'ts that we think will make us better before God. So I do these things and don't do those things. And then all of us, I mean, I had, you know, in early life was like, okay, if I do some really bad things, I do some good things to compensate for the bad things. And it's like the set of scales we're always trying to manage. So religion is a system of do's and don'ts. Everywhere religion has a system. Islam has the five pillars. You go down the line, there's a system of do's and don'ts. Christianity is a relationship with a person. So I'm not measuring what I believe by what I do and don't do. I'm measuring my relationship to Jesus Christ. Do I know this person? Do I know what he did for me? Now, I did a little homework on these, and in full disclosure, I asked these questions to come beforehand because I'm not as quick as I used to be. (laughs) But I looked up religion only five times in the New Testament, and there's two different words that are used for religion. All but one are bad. And I thought that was interesting insight that even the New Testament talks about religion in the negative light. The only time it isn't is in James 1, 27, when it says to visit orphans and widows in their distress. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God. So I went, okay, well, is that a do and don't? So I'm not deterred. I do some more work. That word could be translated worship. Wow. This is pure and undefiled worship. If we care about the fringes of community, the old who can't take care of themselves and the young who can't take care of themselves, widows and orphans, that's pure worship in God's sight. So that kind of reframes even how the New Testament talks about religion. And the idea of repetition in religion is very common. Again, I was raised Roman Catholic, and we're champions of saying the same thing over and over and over again in church services. Jesus has a pretty uncomfortable phrase in Matthew chapter 6, 7, where he talks about by meaningless repetition, they think they'll be heard. I don't know if you know any Catholics. Maybe you grew up Catholic. Maybe you're a Catholic. I had a rosary. I had to pray that rosary. I'd go to confession, and the priest would absolve me of my sins and say two rosaries and so forth. They'd send me out, and you kneel down. You burn through the rosary as fast as you could. You know, It wasn't like you're really a minute. You just prayed as fast as you could, and you said all these prayers, and they were meaningless repetition. Now, I'm sure some people mean those things when they say them. But the problem is if you do it over and over again, it becomes meaningless. So Jesus was pretty hard on that. The focus is, again, on my relationship, not on the do's and don'ts of a religious system. So when I say I want to be a good person, instead of saying religious, why don't we say righteous? Or I want to love God. Or I want to know that I'm doing what God wants me to do. And one of the most powerful things when Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So then when I choose to sin, I have to ask myself, I love my sin more than Jesus right now. Just call it what it is. I'd rather sin than follow Jesus. Do I run to obey or do I run to sin? So the tension for religion is very hard to measure. Meaningless repetition doesn't gain any favor with God. But if I love this person, I want to do what he wants me to do. I mean, when you're in love, You know, before you're married and you're courting, you do what the other person wants because you're demonstrating your love. You want to hang out with them. 
You know, you hate fishing, but you go fishing because your boyfriend likes to go fishing. You get married, you hate fishing, you never go fishing again. That's how it works. That's so rude. It's true. But when we love somebody, we do what they want to do and vice versa. If I really love someone, I do what they want. If I love Jesus, I want to obey him. So religion, a system of do's and don'ts, a relationship is do you love a person and do you want to obey him? Where did this personal relationship with Jesus vernacular come from? Because I don't know if I see that in the New Testament. It's a way of talking about it because, again, it's juxtaposing the religion. Right. It's a very fair question. I really like the I am's in John because every time we look at Jesus' self-declarations, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the door. I am the good shepherd and so forth. Those are self-revelatory, and they're always to a person. So the woman at the well, he's a living water. Okay, so he's revealing himself to a person in sin, and we draw from that going, oh, each of those was an individual relationship. It's cool in John. There's seven key people, there's seven IMs, and there's seven key miracles that go along with those seven IMs. It's a very cool story. And so each time Jesus is saying, this is who I am, this is who you are, and let me prove it with a miracle. So it's fascinating the way John wove the gospel together for that account. So Part of that is that one-to-one with the woman at the well, the blind man in John 9, there's this intimacy. And so from that, we extrapolate, he's relating to a person and they're responding to a person. And so that's the way, you know, even like walk the aisle and pray the prayer and ask Jesus into your heart. None of that's in the Bible. Right. But it's a way we kind of amalgamate what is this response? Because it's kind of weird. You're trusting, you're believing, you're putting your faith in Christ to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. That's strange. Because uh-huh. religion is walk the aisle, pray the prayer, do something, you know, give a sacrifice, show. No, he did that for us. And that's the enigma of I'm trusting a person to do for me what I can't do for myself. Mm. I'm currently in seminary right now. And so I'm in a church history class. And so I was reading about the change and emphasis in the starting in the Reformation, but continuing on emphasizing like you have to have a conversion experience Mm -hmm. and putting priority on. I mean, some of it was like, you need to know the date and the time that you accepted Christ. But I think it was kind of in response to this cultural, traditional Catholic, you just grew up in it, right? You never really decided if you believed it or not. It just, it just was what you know. Yeah. Well, there was one church, even in the Reformation, there was one church and people often don't understand. The Protestant Reformation was never to start a new division or denomination. The Reformation was to reform the excesses of the Catholic Church, indulgences, paying to get you know people out of purgatory and out of hell and this type of language. And so it was very, I mean, Luther, Zwingli, Melanchthon, all those guys were Catholic priests. People forget this. They were priests and they were trying to fix what was wrong with the indulgences primarily of the Catholic Church and other issues. So as the Reformation takes you know, it grows, it mm-hmm. changes geographically. There's different issues in Switzerland and Germany, and it's very complex. But by the time we get out of that, you're born in the church. Mm-hmm. You're a Christian. Mm-hmm. Now we got these different, if you will, denominations, ostensibly they become. And so now what are we requiring that's different from the Catholic church? Not just infant baptism any longer. Your yeah. infant baptism, you're confirmed at age yeah. 12-ish, yeah. you know, then you're on your own age of accountability language. So it gets real gummy, but it always comes down to when you stand before God, on what basis are you going to say to him, do I get into heaven? 
That's the bottom line. Is it what you believe, how you live when you stand before Christ? And I believe we all will. And I don't think he's going to have a clipboard, but there's a sense in which when we see him, it's like, why would I get in there? Nothing I did, what he's done. And that's the only way we understand, again, about that word efficacious, what Jesus did in my place on my behalf instead of me. All right. Well, if you've got a question for Dr. E, call us, text us, email us, or be in this high school senior Bible class. As Dr. E is produced by me, Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonamorphic, and music composed by Jason Germain. 